Do School Better, a podcast for people who want to transform education. Join Doris Corda, Hawkins School's Associate Head and Director of Entrepreneurial Studies, as she shares her experience as an educational reformer told through conversations with Assistant Directors Tim Desmond and Allison Tanker. In this special episode, Doris hosts a live panel discussion at the 2016 Cleveland Hawken Educators Workshop. Returning attendees, Jeremy Wickenheiser, Mel McGee, and Sarah Jensen discuss the successful programs they've built since attending the workshop at Denver School of Science and Technology, We Can Code It IT, and Nichols School. 2014, uh, Jeremy was in the first one in 2014. They're going to introduce themselves and what they do and what's happened since the workshop. Uh, Mel, so Jeremy Wickenheiser from Denver School of Science and Technology, who came to the first workshop ever, Brave Soul. Um, Mel McGee, who's from here in Cleveland and ha- is the founder and created creator of an organization called We Can Code It, very exciting. And Mel came to the California workshop last year. And Sarah Jensen from Nichols School, who came to the Boston workshop last year. And Nichols is an independent school. So we have an independent school. Mel will tell you what she's doing, which is really exciting. And Jeremy from a public charter school in Denver. And if you guys could start by spending a few minutes just introducing yourself, Talking about yourself, where you're from, what you do, and what came out of the workshop, the whole thing. Yeah, go for it, Jeremy. My name is Jeremy Wickenheiser. I teach currently at the Denver School of Science and Technology, we're not the SST Public Schools. We started with one school 14 years ago and have now grown out to, I think, six or seven at least right now. We're growing out to 22 schools um, across the city, serving 10,500 students in Denver. Kind of the claim to fame of our network of schools has been to this point that 100% of our students are accepted to four-year universities from very diverse uh, backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds and those types of pieces. As Doris mentioned, I went in the summer of 2014, so a couple of summers ago, the very first workshop that was out at Steve Blank's house. My background is actually as a science teacher and science research. I did my undergraduate degree in Creative studies with an emphasis in biology, so it's research related biology. I've taught for many years in a traditional classroom teaching science, physics, AP biology, engineering, lots of different things, kind of in that realm, both in public schools and public charter schools. And I would say our reason for being there at that first workshop was really, you know, we've We've done a good job, I would say, as a network in terms of preparing kids with academic content knowledge, and we had recognized that at that point. But we realized in, in collaboration and in conversation with a lot of our university partners and alumni that there was really, I think, a piece that was being missed in terms of skills, right? In terms of professional skills, what people might call soft skills or non-cognitive skills, they're definitely not non-cognitive skills. Mm-hmm. Cognition. So, you know, we had actually started testing some things before that. We were testing some things in conjunction with Startup Colorado, testing things after school in conjunction with their CEOs and co-founders of companies and doing some kind of pitch-related things after school. We were seeing amazing engagement from kids, unlike what I would see in any of my traditional classes. And, you know, at that point, started looking on the internet in terms of who's, who out there is doing this. 
right? Who's doing it well and what else is out there? And there wasn't a lot out there at that point, I would say two years ago. And there still isn't a lot out there of a lot in terms of high quality, in terms of rigor. And so at that point, I emailed Doris, I think maybe Tim at that point, and Doris said, oh, we still have a spot in the workshop. And I said, great, I'm coming. And, and, I, and actually, right after that, I was off to fly to Africa for three weeks, too. Um, so, so it just worked out. And coming out of that, we've done a bunch of things since then. Since, since that point, you know, we were already moving in that direction. But what we've, what we've done since then is taken and brought these courses into the school day. And we've received kind of support to do that. If we think this is important in terms of education, it has to happen during the school day. And for us, I would say it's really an equity piece in terms of why that's important. And you know, the, the bigger kind of background piece in terms of why this is important in our communities, there's a lot of data that's suggesting that at least in Colorado, 74% of jobs by 2020 are requiring some sort of post-secondary training. Not necessarily a college degree, but some sort of post-secondary training. And we're nowhere on track to meet that as a state. And we're gonna to continue to import workforce talent from around the nation and from out of the country, which is fine. But it's a real problem that we're not providing kids with the skills to access those jobs. All these startups are coming to Denver and all sorts of things, and there's a lot of moving around that, but our kids can't engage in those jobs. Right? There's a huge disconnect between what the workplace wants and demands and what kids are doing in school. And this is about bridging that disconnect. That's, what, that's hopefully what all of you are here for today, because that's what this workshop is going to help you do. Doris will support you for a very long time, her, her team. I mean, Doris has become, I think, a very good friend um, from this. And you know, so what we've done in terms of building program, we have a course in the 12th grade akin to Doris's intensive course. We're now rolling out courses in the 8th and 9th grade. So on one of our campuses next year, we'll serve between 250 and 300 students, all with courses during the school day before we start kind of scaling across our network. We also do work in conjunction with a nonprofit Denver called the Global Livingston Institute, and so we do some work in East Africa as well. Uh, because I think for us, a lot of what we're framing our pieces around is these global sustainability goals, really wanting kids to tackle big challenges and problems in the world. That's what it's about, right? I mean, Doris, I'm sure, it keeps talking to you about doing real, meaningful work and solving real problems. The engagement from kids is unbelievable when you do that. I've seen kids work harder for these classes than anything else that I've ever done in 11 plus years you know, in a traditional classroom in that way. So that's kind of where we're at. That's great, thank you. Yeah. Oh, I'm Mel McGee. I'm with a company called We Can Code It. And I founded We Can Code It in order to help people learn how to code, so a computer program. Um, we have a very special focus on diversity and inclusion in technology. One, there's a huge issue with diversity and inclusion in tech, and you probably have seen it yourself, so I won't go into that right now. However, I will go into what I got out of the workshop, what I have received from um, this gift that you have given me um, in order to help people find jobs, help retrain people rapidly in a way that they can come from a place where they know very little about programming, but they know that they're broke and they know that $15 an hour job isn't gonna cut it for them. In fact, there's 83% chance that if you have a job that's $20 for less an hour, 
that you will be unemployed in a few years. And that comes from a presidential report. Anyway, um, and we can code it. We teach adults. We teach them how to code. We help them find a job. We have 100% placement within six months of graduating our program. Students come from backgrounds. We just had one student, Lexis, who came through the program. And she was uh, jobless. She came, came from poverty. Her sister uh, passed away, and she felt very responsible for her niece and nephew. She knew she had to do something. She didn't know what that was. And she had very little time in which to ramp up and figure something out for her life. So she came through our program, and 12 weeks later, she had a job at J.P. Morgan Chase, making $62,000 a year to start. Wow, how that changed her life. We had another student in Dira, very similar. She was making $15,000 a year, single mom. She got pregnant at 16, thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? She just really, she, she was sort of at the end of her rope, she thought. She felt that she kept failing. She kept failing um, very bright and came through the program. She went to our part-time program, which was 22 weeks. Um, but we followed the same methodology um, that she teach Doris. And she now, um, she has a job again, another kind of success story. Um, she's making up to, if she gets her bonus this year, she'll be making $72,000. And that's, yeah. Um, coming from $15,000 a year in poverty, okay? So these are really meaningful um, lessons that I have learned, you know, through your workshops. But you're also, you're teaching content and you're content. teaching skills. Yeah, this isn't just entrepreneur. This isn't, this, this is they real world. Code. Yeah. They have to. So how do you get somebody to learn how to code? How to program a computer, which is notoriously difficult to do in such a short period of time. And we've done amazing stuff. Yeah, and we do, and they do real world projects. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome, Sarah. So, um, my name is Sarah Jensen, and I'm looking out at you thinking, I was there last year, this time last year, except none of you look as scared as I am. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So, my, um, actually, I visited. Hawken one very cold February day as a parent of, of two Nichols students being new to Nichols, new to Buffalo. Uh, I had, we had just moved from Boston and we came down and met with Scott and Doris and Tim and then we went over to, to the um, upper school campus and as we were talking, I was with our head of school and assistant head of school, Doris and Tim were very, very polite and gave us a lot of information and finally said, you know, we are, we do have a workshop for this. And um, if you're interested, there, you can learn a lot more about this. So I got back in the car three hours with the head of school, assistant head of school as a parent and thought, okay, I'm not sure where this is going or what's happening, but it's, it was a continuation, but really a spark of different discussions that we were having about how to build on the traditional curriculum at Nichols and prepare our students. Ours is, our mission is mind, body, and, and spirit for, for the work of life. So how do we take what we've done well for 124 years, we're about to start our 125th year, and build on that? And so I was asked to launch an entrepreneurial studies class 
no textbook, no anything, just go do it. Great, we're really excited. And so coming to the, to the workshop, I honestly didn't know what to expect. I had reached out um, to a bunch of prep schools around New England because that's what I knew and I had spent hours online and, and I went to business school so I looked at all those types of resources but every couldn't really find something that I thought that I could at least start with. This far exceeded my expectations. Do you still mm -hmm. have the toolkit? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, if you have it, able to access okay. it. The toolkit was incredible because sitting there, not, I felt like I was highlighting everything. You know, like if you opened a book, you were understanding. You just, it was like drinking from a fire hose. I really didn't understand. I couldn't take it all in. But I knew that what I was hearing was really incredible. So to have the toolkit and to be able to go back and look at it and say, okay, this is what I need. Where can that happen? Or Tim mentioned this, or what to do. And, and to have a place to start was incredible. So I spent a tremendous amount of my summer looking at what Hawken, the Hawken model, but then also looking at Nichols and saying, okay, we're 45 minute rotating schedule. We are in the city of Buffalo, but we don't have the same proximity. We're probably 10 minutes away from most businesses and from our medical campus. How do, how do you do that? Um, we're seniors, it's only one class, it's not an honors class. I had 12 students the first year, everything from national merit finalists to kids who were on the private school equivalent of like an IEP. Right, when we were making accommodations. I didn't know that, I didn't know the students. It was, inc it was incredible. I mean, I, I feel our focus is really on skills. We call it the fourth season an F, um, because 21st century school skills and all the different terminology, that, it's wonderful, but people don't necessarily know what you're talking about or they, they, they ex start to expect too much. And I think the, the failure part for me was huge. Nichols is a highly academic, rigorous school, and these students had spent so much time focused on, you tell me what you want, I'll give it back to you in the format you wanted, and you'll give me a good grade and we'll move on. And, and while they are incredibly good at that, they were very uncomfortable with, with you know, they problems that were real world problems that had no obvious solutions. So I think mm. you said to me, I said, I can't do, I, I don't know what I can do. And you said, the secret is keep it real. And we met, we worked with three CEOs in the fall. The first CEO we met day three of class. And that set the tone for these students to be sitting around a conference room realizing that their opinion matters and that they're what, there's no real answer was, was magical. Tell you one um, story. So the, our our second CEO collaboration was a landscaper who only provided services. He didn't have any product, but he had an idea for a product, and he wanted to pursue that more because he has to lay off half of his workforce in the winter. Despite Buffalo's reputation for being snowy, we did not have any snow this past winter. Um, so he had a garden box. He, we did a rough prototype, and the students created a go-to-market strategy for him. Did a tremendous amount of informational interviewing and surveys and figured out the different channels. One of the students about, I don't know, 
three weeks in, the whole thing only lasts about four and a half weeks, said, oh, Mrs. Jensen, I don't think I'm doing it right. And I said, well, what do you mean you're not doing it right? He said, well, when I do the math of what the carrying costs are for these employees and what we could make, I can only, I think we can only save five jobs. And I was blown away. I said, guys, this isn't, this isn't a word problem. This is not a word problem. These are their, and they, the, the students, um, Jeremy, to your point, like they stepped up in a way that far exceeded my expectations, their own expectations, their parents, the business community, their teachers, really. The, the, some of the kids that I had, again, were seniors and they had sort of had a reputation of not being super diligent. They were taking my class, it was an elective, they thought it'd be easy. And I had advisors and parents and all these people coming back and saying, I cannot believe the growth I've seen in this child. And it's, I don't take credit for it. I really believe that using the Hawken model, you create this environment and you scaffold it and you take your hands off the wheel and these kids, they grow themselves, the peer, the friendships, the, it's just been amazing. So. Um, I'd like, I have some questions, but I'd also like you guys to ask questions if you have them. Do you have any questions yet? Anybody? I have a question about how this, as, as you're creating these programs in side schools, uh, what you're seeing in terms of um, the impact on the traditional classes or the traditional faculty or how, how is, is there any impact or it's just a separate, in your, talk a little about what's happened at DSST with, since you did the first class. Yeah, Doris is visitor at our school too, so yeah, it was um, she's um, spent time with our kids. So I would say I operate on a little bit of an island, um, if you will. Like Doris said, she's kind of the weird one here, I'm the weird one there <laughs> in terms of doing something pretty different than other people. But I think there's a recognition of, I want that. <laughs> I, I want my kids to be engaged like that. I want to see that from my kids. How do I do that? And so that's, a, I think, actually one of the next steps that we're taking here in this next year is working with some teachers to basically just change even one unit right, within your course and those types of pieces. Everybody can see the value that it adds for the students. I mean, we see it literally paying off financially in terms of scholarship dollars and all sorts of things for students and just all the skills that they come out of that with. People want those same things within their class and how do they do the content with it and it's totally possible to do that and so that's where we're going to So I would say nobody quite knew what to make of me <laughs> when I got to campus and, and that actually was kind of great. I, I have my own space which is in the basement and so it looks like a startup space and again it, it's noisy. Like most of the classrooms, there's a teacher standing up, there's students at the desk. Mine, I fed them every Friday. I had fun food Friday. Um, and I expected a lot of the students. I had a constant flow of people in and out engaging them, not speaking to them, but being target customers or being sharks to, to hear. So that, that I have to figure out how to interact with somebody. I have to learn to walk up, shake the hand, write the thank you note, all of those things. Um, so initially, there was a buzz around in my classroom and a lot of people looking in the window wondering what was happening. 
very quickly. I think they saw how transferable the skills were and how enthusiastic. These are seniors, so seniors are very focused on college and on their next steps. And so to have seniors excited and talking about it, that was my, my best advertisement. Then quickly, everybody wanted our seniors to help with the freshman geometry class who were presenting in front of the mayor about a new building project on the, on the um, outer harbor of, in Buffalo. They wanted, everybody was suddenly very interested in what we were doing, how our presentations were at a completely different level, how to get these kids so engaged. So the teachers were talking to me, but they also wanted my students. And I kept saying, but I'm super busy, but here are their elective times or their free times. And so the statistics teacher who also taught the geometry class helped our kids out because they initiated it to go figure out some of the survey stats. And then they were very happy to help the younger, the underclassmen with their projects and give feedback on presentations and, and, and how to do it. Towards the end of the year, we did a professional development morning, not morning, really, honestly, an hour with the middle school. We have a five through eight middle school. And any of my students, our class was officially over, so we bribed them with coffee and, <laughs> and with and really good donuts. And they came and we did a design thinking project with the exercise with the middle school faculty, mixed our kids up, not only on the actual execution of it, but in the debrief. And so they could have the around the table casual conversations and then formal discussions. And we, I put together a couple slides on how the middle school might use design thinking and some of the other uh, tools that I'm using in my classroom. And the response was incredible. I would say some wanted to replicate what we had just created in their sixth grade math class. So I was in there doing that, helping somebody else with a marshmallow challenge. That's a classic design thinking. Um, but others were already talking about history and English, and we're collaborating next year. One of our units for my class is actually going to be pairing up with the seventh graders to solve or to try and solve a real world problem that's particular to the Great Lakes in Buffalo. So in a year, they went from, who's that crazy woman in the basement? We don't know what she does, <laughs> to, oh my goodness, this is this is wonderful, and, and constantly having conversations about how to engage, whether it's one unit, or just one project, or, or a bigger piece of it. And, and I think that's exciting, too, when they can see it at all different levels. I think a lot of people initially thought, well, that's, of course, their seniors. Their skill set is, and what they're quickly realizing is that the skills, the skills that they're learning traditionally, while well, those help, it's really oftentimes the skills that they're learning on the stage or, on, you know, on the basketball court that actually translate better into this class. And once they realize that they can put it together in a different format, then the confidence grows. Um. I want to ask you about the experience of teaching. It takes a leap of faith to go into something where you're teaching something and you're not the expert. You can't be. You can't know. It's a real problem. It's not yet solved. You don't know where their path is going to take you. So as somebody who's been, if I've been teaching for 14 years and I know this is the curriculum, this is what I'm going to do, I'm an expert in it, versus this, which is entirely different, what's the experience of teaching this thing? 
teaching teaching when they're working on a real problem, they're creating as a team. What, what's the experience like? Deciding what to do every night, what to do the next day. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I drink the same Kool-Aid as Doris. So, I mean, I think the big piece of it is, you know, when you ask maybe Doris, can you give me your curriculum? And she goes, no, because yeah. you, you can't. Yeah. Right, because it changes always in the moment. Personally, that fits my personality. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't envision myself, you know, like pulling out a file cabinet <coughs> a lesson every year from, you know, teaching the same standard in biology or what have you. Um, I think you know it, it is challenging as a teacher in terms of like the time. It takes a lot of time to put everything together. A lot of times, people might walk in and see your class and go, "You're not really doing anything." No, I'm not. <laughs> That's right, I'm not doing anything. Because I already did all of that before class to set everything up in that way. And now I'm really just facilitating. And it, and it also takes a lot of humility in the sense that I'm not in control. Right? I'm not in control, and it's a collaborative experience in that way. For me, that's really refreshing as an educator to work with young people in that way. It's so deep and meaningful. I mean, our, our you know, course, we take the use of the Hawken pieces, and we also do a lot, of, a lot of different stuff, too. It's really built around this idea of figuring out who am I and how am I going to create impact. And there's a lot of kind of personal self-discovery work and those types of pieces. And I would say I get to know kids in five or ten minutes more than I know them in 40 years of working with them over the course of that journey. It creates just a very deep, intimate experience where, I mean, after the course finishes, we have, they all come over to dinner at my house, right? They all want to hang out with each other in ways beyond, and they're sad that school's done because they don't get to see each other in, in the same way. I mean, when the alumni are back in town, they all want to get together for Thanksgiving or you know, things like that. It really creates almost like a cohort of young people that are going to create deep meaning and impact in the world. I think that's really what it does. Oh, well, I don't have 14 years of teaching experience, but I, um, I, I guess what I would, I would echo that is that it brings, it, it levels the playing field or changes the playing field. The, the students that were incredibly strong writers might be the ones who are staring at their shoes for the first two presentations, first 20 presentations. We filmed 35 presentations throughout the year. Everything from weekly updates to in front of 70 people downtown in our new innovation center, which is on our medical campus. And the students, we had a business luncheon where we set tables and we, the students had to present a few of them and then we were collaborating with the business community or the, the Buffalo community to try and solve the, this problem associated with a, with a startup. Um, a new initiative that had to do with addressing food deserts and, and the lack of entrepreneurial opportunities for the most impoverished neighborhoods in, in Buffalo. So um, it, 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 is a, it is a huge challenge. I, I often walk around in other parts of the campus when my students are in there. I think that if any of you have ever coached, it's similar to having a um, a captain's practice. Mm -hmm. You've talked to people, mm -hmm. you've put it together, but you just have to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen quickly. And they need to learn the pains of having spent the time chit-chatting about what was on 
Netflix the night before. Like you can't, you have to like take your parenting hat way off and not try and shepherd them through the process. But it is scary. Every time you stand up there and you put your, your students are in front of an authentic audience, which is the magic, hands down, the difference between what they're doing in many of their other classes and what they're doing in my class in their level of preparation, coordination, you know, just how much they care about it is absolutely their audience and constantly changing the format of who they're speaking to and how it's happening. Um, but it, yeah, it, I mean, I almost didn't know enough to be scared initially, um, and there definitely been times that I've crossed my fingers, but I would say that learning alongside the students, if you can say we're all in this together, I am not an expert, I do not have all the answers, you don't have the answers, we'll figure it out together, has been incredible. And the group that graduated, the 12 that graduated, they, I think, will be friends forever, and I've told them they're my senior advisors. You know, like any startup, we're a startup about startups, and they will forever, I wanna hear back from them. I wanna know about how this class and the skills from this class influence them and help them, or if I'm totally wrong. I mean, they, they're not shy. They would tell me that, <laughs> I don't think so. A year, five years, 10 years. I, I'm, I'm really excited to see where that goes. We talked about how in order to really learn something deeply and apply it in different situations, you not only learn it, but you have to apply it and then reflect on it. Mel, you talked about the fact that the reflection piece has been really big for your students in their learning of really hard technical content. No doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, you can solve a technology problem in multiple ways as well. Right. Um, and you do value that deeply. And a lot of times, students are comparing. Oh, you did it different. Which way is best? Tell me, Melanie, which way is best? Yeah. And, you know, because I don't come, I come from a development. I'm, I'm, yeah, you're I'm a developer. developer. You're a programmer, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it, is, it always gives me a smile. And I, I allow them to discuss this. You know, we have, they, they talk it back and forth. It's theirs to discover. You know, I can give them little hints. I can say, you know, it depends on the scenario, but doesn't it always? Doesn't it always depend on the scenario? Do you need to get this done fast? If so, doing it just, just as fast as you can as a developer. Sure. Sometimes you need that in the world. Sometimes you need the fastest algorithm or the smallest program. You know, there are so many different reasons. And that's one thing I think the students really come away with when they do their reflections, when they talk about it. And they also reflect not only upon what they're learning, but they reflect upon how they're feeling every day, what's going on in their lives. And because of that, because we care about them as human beings, not as little robots that we're going to program and send out to do some job that they, you know, They do. There's, there's this camaraderie where they're all really invested in helping each other out. And it is so powerful because you know when they teach each other, share each other, share with each other, they're learning themselves. Yeah, and they have a deadline. You've got something real they've got to create, and there's yes. nothing out there except what they come up with. And then it goes in, you know, almost in front of the world. They put it on a repository online. Yeah. And their task is with the players. Yeah. You know, so Will it works. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, yeah. yeah so practicing that with each other. Sure. It's very real. <clears throat> well, you. Um, I'd like to hear if there are any questions now that you think would be interest of interest to everybody. Yeah. 
So one of the things I'm really hoping that my students get out of this experience is to struggle through adversity and fail yeah. and learn from that. And I'm kind of looking forward to that for myself as well. And so I'm wondering if you would be willing to share one of your failures, your colossal flops, uh, and what, what you learned from that by going through the process. Uh, so yeah, I <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> That's me here. <laughs> failure. So a student's failure, our failure, I feel that... I don't know. I mean, it, it's tough to implement this, right? So it can't all have worked out. I think it's about letting kids know or letting whoever you're working with know on day one. I don't have the answers to this. We are doing this together. And we're going to figure this out together. And you're going to make a lot of missteps along the way. I mean, maybe you pick a problem that's too hard for the kids to start with, or maybe it's structured in the wrong way, or there's, there's all sorts of you know, different things. Maybe you sequence things you know, incorrectly. Or, I mean, there, there's, but the kids aren't afraid to tell you, like, yeah. that didn't work. That didn't work. You know, it's like, you're right. That didn't work. You know, that, that's the thing, too, is a lot of classes I would say I've been involved with before, they have busy work, lots of busy work. You know, and I think that's the thing that we make commitment to the kids to do. If you think this work is busy work, you, you need to let us know because we don't have time for busy work uh, in here. If you think it's busy work, I, let's let's have a discussion in terms of why we're you know doing what we're doing um, in that way. I mean, when you look at young people today, they want to find meaning and purpose in what they're doing. And I think that's why there's so much affinity for work like this, especially with kids today. Is that they? That's what they want. They want that much more so than high-paying salary or anything else. They want meaning and purpose in what they're doing, and this is that, right? It is doing meaningful work. So I, I can tell you lots of points. I, I have to chime in here because it just reminded me. We just graduated 30 of our adult programming students, and at the graduation, I was trying to think, you know, what do I want to teach them? What are the final words I'm going to say? And one of the things was fail well. And I looked at them and I started laughing. I said, out of every one in the world, I think programmers, especially junior developers, no failure more than, and it gets shoved in their face. Because I don't know if you've ever seen a computer programmer tried to program before, but when you do, there's no, you sort of got it. No, you either have it, <laughs> or you have a big red eh, come in your face. And I remember seeing it. They wouldn't read it. They would just close it because it scared them. And I would say, no, no, read it. It's trying to tell you something. It's trying to tell you how to fix it. And, it's, and eventually they got it. And eventually they got it. And I thought, you know, having them learn failure that way, but persistence, persistence at each time. Each time you get an error, you just learn a little bit more. Each time you get it, just learn a little more. What else is it telling you? Oh, red squiggly on the what is it trying to tell you? Put your mouse over it, it will tell you something. Mm -hmm. Until you get it. So, That's great. It, yeah, I, I think it's great for them to learn, not, you know, learn how to deal with failure. So what? Keep going. So what? Keep going. Try again. Try another way. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I, as a teacher, uh, all of my failures, I'm inventorying in my head, I have so many, and it keeps going, fall into the category of I over-prepared or I under-prepared. And that's kind of a simplistic way of putting it. But you have to learn. I'm always saying, just try it. If you do one, then do another, then do another. But give yourself space. After you've tried it for the first time, give yourself space before you try it for the second time. 
because you're going to want to change a lot of things that you did and do them differently. Um, one of the things on the student failure side is they have a deadline and they're going to be presenting in front of people they really care about, about something real that requires a ton of learning and work to do well. And very often what they present is not high quality. It's true. Very often. <laughs> Sorry. But very often what they present is just not that great because the bell goes off and they didn't get to all the stuff or they were busy, you know, uh, having team dynamic issues and talking about Netflix instead of and so they get but guess what happens? They get multiple reps. So when they go through one and they look back and they say, Oh my gosh. I didn't do my analytics very well. I didn't do the quantitative, we didn't do the quantitative analysis well enough. We didn't do the writing piece of this well enough. We didn't articulate, we didn't do the design well enough. Man, we were talking about going to do that amount of research. None of us ever did it. It was shallow. I mean, you've all experienced that, that you present something and afterwards you've got, there were parts of that I wish we could have done differently, done better, and then you get to do it again, which is really nice. But there are tons of failures. Listen, it's been a very long day. We have great food, we have great company. Please seek these guys out. They're going to be here tonight, and they're going to be here tomorrow as well, and ask them about what they've been through and what they've done. I'm so grateful that you guys are here, because I think there's just this students who've been through it, students and teachers who've been through it, there's nobody better to talk to. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. For more information and resources, go to doschoolbetter.com. Podcasts created by Tim Desmond, Doris Corda, and Allison Tanker. Produced by Tim Desmond.